0: And today's a great Sunday to be in church because I'm going to talk on something that I'm passionate about, and that is passion, okay? More on that in just a minute. But let me explain what we've been in, this series that we've been in, before we get going with that. Um, We've been in this series called Life on a Mission, and what we're doing is we're talking about what it looks like to live a life on mission. Because if you if you know that God is real, if you know that God loves you, if you know that God has created you for a purpose, then your life should look different than the people around you. You should look like a life on mission. You should look so different... That wherever you are, whether you're in Columbus or Ellerslie or Hamilton or Phoenix City, wherever you might be, people will look at you and go, that life is different. That person looks like they're on mission for God, right? And the good news is we all need to be on mission for God. He has created us in a unique way to serve Him. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in, and He gives you a unique gift in a way that you can serve your God Almighty, right? But... As amazing as that is, and as special as that is, we also realize that there are certain things that we're all called to do. Like There are certain goals that we all have, that we all share, that are in unison, that we all need to do in order to be or have a life on mission. And so we've been uh, unpacking those. And last week we start off by saying worship. Worship is one of those common goals that we all have. We were made to worship. And when we worship, our lives should be connected to God, right? And we talked about what that meant to have a life that's connected to God in how we worship. We, we talked about what it means to not give God an empty gift. And to get into today's topic, I want to keep that theme of gift-giving going, okay? And let me start off with this question. Um, have you ever gone out of your way to find the perfect gift for somebody, okay? Just the perfect gift. And when you gave it to them, They didn't have the reaction that you think that they should have had. Have you? (laughs) I got somebody down front that must have been recent. They're like, Yep. You know what it's like to spend all this time like researching, trying to figure and you know that person that's just difficult to buy for, you know, it's just really hard. And so you've been racking your brain and you've been researching for a lot, you put a lot of thought into it, you've even asked other people. About it, you saved your money and then you gave it to them, and you could just see the reaction was just kind of complacency. They just kind of looked at the gift and were just kind of like, eh. Now, can I fill you in on a little secret when it comes to buying me a gift? Because let's be honest, it's getting close to Christmas. And I know all of y'all are going to wonder, what do we get our preacher, right? So I'm going to fill you in on gift-giving for me. I'm going to help you out. And this might be a little shocking to say, and I feel like I need to warn some of y'all because when I say this, you're going to be a little disappointed in me, okay? But let's be honest, I disappoint you a lot. So, kind of like last Sunday with quoting the great theologian DJ Khaled. Anyway, anyway. This might be a little shocking, but here's my advice. When it comes to giving me a gift, okay, or giving any preacher a gift, here it is. Do not, do not give me a Bible. (laughs) Do not give, some of y'all are like, oh my goodness, we're going to have to find another church. Preacher doesn't like Bibles. That's not what I'm saying. Everybody calm down, okay? Let me explain what I mean. The reason I say that is because I've already got 50 of them. Seriously, when I was a... This is kind of funny, and you know, it's like, what do you buy a preacher? Uh, I know, a Bible. When I was at St. Luke, um, somebody gave me a Bible, and they were so excited about it because them, to them this was like the perfect gift, and they found the translation that they wanted, not the one I wanted, the one they wanted. They felt leather-bound. They even had my name engraved on it, and so they gave it to me one Sunday, and I looked at it, and I was like, thanks, another Bible. And then I put it with the other Bibles that I have. And if you give me a Bible, and I know this is kind of weird, I'm just going to be kind of like, eh. And to be honest with you, I'm going to give it away. Do you know how many people... <laughs> do you know how many people right now have their Bibles with my name engraved on them? <laughs> there's, there's quite a few out there. I'm not, that's, that's a true story. Um, but... <laughs> Everybody knows what it's like to give that gift, and the person is just kind of like, eh. So, how does Jesus feel after everything he's done, leaving heaven, coming to earth, sacrificing everything he did, being tortured, died, the worst way possible, kicking the devil's tail, raised from the grave, Gave us the gift of eternal life. Gave us the word of God. Gave us his Holy Spirit. Gave us access to the throne of God through prayer. Gave us a spiritual mission. Gave us the gift of eternal life. Gave us this resurrection power. And yet, we kind of treat his gifts with indifference. Somehow, with everything that God has done or given, We manage to go through our days, day in and day out, sometimes without ever thinking about it or any of those amazing gifts. How does that make them feel? I think it's a little disappointing. Here's where I'm going with this. I think that a life on mission is passionate is a passionate life living to the fullest because of what God has given and what God continues to give, right? But so many times, so many times. I don't know that passionate so much is a word that characterizes us or characterizes a lot of our daily routines as much as we might just be apathetic. And I think when we're apathetic, when we're just kind of complacent, I think it hurts the, gut, the, the heart of our God. Let's, let's talk about apathy for just a minute. You know, it's that kind of, eh, kind of attitude. You know that attitude when someone might ask you, how are things going? You're just like, eh, how are things going at work? Eh, how are things going at the house? Uh, eh, you know. How are things going with Alabama football? Eh, oh. <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> Usually i got to wait till the end of the season to work one of those in. I could not that's not even in my notes. I couldn't help it. I could not help it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't anybody leave. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> you know what's bad when the congregation is yelling back at you. Let me let me keep going. You know this apathetic kind of attitude. But but but, but, but seriously, seriously. <laughs> let's read. Let's let's rein it back in. Let's talk about the things that we should be passionate about. Those things that should elicit this kind of strong response from us. And yet we just kind of shrug our shoulders with it. And it, it a life on mission should be passionate. We, we should try our best to, to battle against this type of indifference, When it, especially when it comes to our spiritual walk with Christ. And here's how spiritual apathy sounds, okay? Spiritual apathy is when we talk about things like, do you want to go to church? Uh, do, you know, do, you, do you want to serve in church? Do you want to serve here? Do you want to... Do you want to share with somebody about this? Do you want to go to a group meeting? Do you want want to get started in a group? Uh, I I don't know that I really feel like it today. I don't know that I really want to do it today. Do you know, Jesus actually talks about this apathetic kind of attitude in the book of Revelation. And it's really interesting what he had to say then. And he actually spoke to one community that had that kind kind of attitude when it came to their spiritual walk with Christ. and th- This is very interesting because a lot of us think, when we, when we think of the book of Revelation, we think about only fire pits and dragons and like these crazy images that nobody really understands. right? But there's so much more to this book. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to look at one of the letters at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. This is a letter that was written by the disciple John, the apostle John. These are words that came from Jesus to John to the city in Laodicea. Okay, And if you want to go back and read it, you can read the entire letter. In fact, there were seven churches that got seven letters from Jesus at the beginning of Revelation. Laodicea is one of those, and it's found in Revelation chapter 3. So if you want to go back in your time uh, this afternoon and read that letter, you can. But let me give you a little background first. This was a powerful little community. This community, Laodicea, had a, the Laodiceans had a lot to... To, to just have fun with. I mean, they had a huge stadium. They had marketplaces. They had theaters. They, they had a lot going on for that day. This was just a happening place to be at the time. The only problem they had was that they didn't have a whole lot of water. So what they did was they built these elaborate aqueducts, these aqueducts, to bring in water from two different places, and one place would bring hot water in for these elaborate bath stations that they would have, so hot water for that, and then cold water for drinking, right? And the problem was that they were piping this water in for so long that the water, by the time it reached the city, wasn't really hot, or it wasn't really cold anymore. It was just kind of dirty. It was kind of lukewarm. So Jesus knows this about Laodicea. Of course, he knows everything. So to make a point, he uses this as an example. And he looks at these people in this community, this new church, and he's like, basically, you're kind of like tepid water. So let's read this together. Revelation chapter 3, it says this. We start off, Jesus says, I know all the things you do. Let's pause there. Stop. In other words, Jesus is like... I know everything you've done, how you're living now. I've seen you this past week, yesterday, the day before, the day before that. No, let's think about that for a minute. If Jesus were to look at your life right now, if Jesus were to look at this past week right now, and He were to give you a report card, and He looked at you, and He's like, I know everything you did. Because He does. Do you think that you would have that life that would be described as passionate, full of energy? For the cause of God? So let's keep reading. He says, I know all the things you do. And he says, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. And the reason Jesus says this, of course, is because hot water serves a purpose, right? Nobody wants a lukewarm bath. That's no good. Nobody wants to drink out of fountains that are warm and not cold on a hot Laodicean afternoon. I want my drinking water to be cold. I want the outside of it wet with condensation, right? That's, that's what we want. That serves a purpose. But not hot, not cold, it's just disappointing. Verse 16, he says this. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what is he saying here? He's saying that their spiritual life is kind of stale. It's not really what he would consider to be a life on mission or a passionate life. And after... Everything that Jesus has done. Now, when Jesus is saying these words, now, this is only a couple of decades after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended into heaven. So this isn't a long time. It's not like he's speaking 2,000 years into the future or anything. He's speaking to them. Like, this is just, like, pretty recent. And Jesus has got to be thinking after everything I've done. It's only taken you this long to kind of get apathetic. And so Jesus says something outrageous here. He says, literally, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But not literally, because literally, what he means by spit you out of my mouth, this word actually means to vomit. So let that thing sink in for a minute. That kind of spiritual apathy, it doesn't just break his heart. It turns his stomach. And after everything Jesus has done, of course, go back to this. I mean... How do you think it's supposed to feel when we're not passionate, right? When we sort of approach church or our spiritual growth or our relationship with God is just like, eh. You see, I think what was true then is still true today. And Jesus isn't satisfied with apathetic followers. What he wants is a life on mission that's passionate for his cause. So what causes spiritual apathy in our lives? Let's fill in a couple of blanks. If you got your message notes, let's pull those out. Let's fill in a couple of things. If you're with us online, we're so glad that you're with us. You can find the fill in the blanks on the app as well. You can follow along. Number one, we've got two things, really. Number one is arrogance. Arrogance. This attitude that I'm good, I've got everything that I could possibly need, I'm good on my own. You see, the problem in Laodicea in Laodicea, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. Right? In other words, their attitude is, I've got everything I want, I'm good, you can just leave me alone. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, what you don't realize is that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Jesus is just shaking his head and he's like, man, you think that you've got so much in life, right? And you do, but what you really need is what you're missing. And you're missing out on what matters the most. And let's be honest, man, it's so so easy to be arrogant and to think that we have it all, that we, we can provide it all. Because we've got everything we could possibly want at our fingertips. And if we don't have it, then we can get it with 10 easy installments of $49.99, right? I mean, everything's available to us. You know, we're like, I just got a new iPhone. I'm good. I just got a bigger, better house. I'm good. I just got a new car with all the, you know, all the specs available. I'm good. I got everything I need. And meanwhile, Jesus is probably like, yeah. don't be arrogant. Sure, your life might be full with a lot of stuff, but man, that doesn't give you purpose. Like, you can have everything and still be empty. Jesus was looking at the Laodiceans and he was like, you think you're great, but I can see the inside and the inside. Man, you're, you're spiritually, you're poor. Arrogance will do that to you. The second thing we'll do, what will do it to you is distractions. Distractions. We're just simply distracted. And this is so easy to see. And the thing is, the same things that distracted them then. And that's why things don't really change, y'all. This is why your Bible is still relevant today. The same things that plagued them then are the same things that plagued us now. Being in Laodicea, man, they thought they had everything available to them. And there were so many distractions with the theater that they had, plays going on, and the bathhouses, and the shopping centers, and the huge stadiums. Everything was there. They were distracted. And in another story, Jesus talks about the distractions. In Mark chapter 4, y'all may remember this story. Jesus talks about a farmer that's scattering seed. y'all remember the farmer scattering seed? And the seed is supposed to be the gospel message of Jesus. And on some of the ground, he scatters the seeds, and the gospel message takes root, and it starts to grow. But Jesus says it doesn't take long before something happens to that plant. This is what he says in verse 19, Mark 4. He says, the message, the gospel, is crowded out. It's distracted. It's choked out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, and no fruit is produced. There's nothing growing. And look at these distractions. I mean, this is... This is still so true today. Isn't this what gets to us today and gets us distracted so we're just kind of like, eh, with everything else? Because our worries, that going after wealth, are just the desires of everything else in life. Man, it, gets, it just chokes out the passion. I'm on fire for Christ, and then one of these things or all of these things happen, and pretty soon I'm taking a step back and I'm not moving forward anymore. It's just like throwing sand on a fire pit. Distractions happen to me all the time. Case in point, I was, I was at a Catalyst conference a while, years ago. And I remember sitting in this, um, sitting in this conference, I had a two, uh, two-hour supper break. So Savannah at the time, she was a freshman in, in Athens. And so I called her up and I was like, hey, I got two hours for a break. Can I meet you for dinner? And sure. So we met halfway. We had dinner. I came back just in time for the main session. Christine Kane is speaking. If you ever heard her, she's a very powerful preacher. And she was just bringing it. And then as I'm sitting there... I start to get worried because I haven't heard from Say. I haven't heard. Did she make it back? Now, there's no reason to worry. I just I just worry. That's what I do. And this is before the Life uh, 360 app was available where you can actually track your kids, you know, which I'm fully supportive of. Um, but anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm worrying. Why hasn't she texted me? Well, she's probably still driving, so she can't text me. And so I thought, well, she's got Bluetooth in her car. I can't stand it. I'm going to call her. And so during the middle of Christine's talk, I'm the guy that's sitting in the middle of the road. And i got to get up. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I get out, have a phone conversation with her. She's fine, of course. Everything is fine. I'm just distracted. And I said, "Thank, I love you, bye, and hung up. And I go back to my seat, go down the road. And then I sit down, and I think to myself, did I lock my car? Is anybody else crazy like me? Does that happen to anybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go back and lock the car like three times because you can't remember if you locked it the first. Yes. So then, then I'm like, okay, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know. So this kind of stuff, though, this happens all the time to me. And while I'm listening to Christine Kane deliver this powerful message, the ending of the message was all, the main purpose of the message was focusing on Christ. And it was just like one of those God moments where God just grabs a hold of me and he goes, what are you doing? Why are you so distracted? Why can't you focus on me in this moment? And it really got me. It's crazy how God works and speaks. And it's so easy to let the the distractions and worries and fears and wealth and desires and all these things of this world just take us away and kill it. So two things here, arrogance and distractions will get in the way of growing in our faith and you know what happens when we settle do you know what happens when we lose our passion when we get a little lukewarm in our faith what happens is we tend to settle for a little bit of Jesus just a little bit just a little bit to feel better about myself you know I prayed Monday I know it's Wednesday but I prayed this week so I'm good you know, I I got baptized when I'm little. That she covered me, so I'm not really worried about you know everything. I'm good. I go to church every now and then. I'm good, and it helps me feel better about myself. You know, I, I'll uh, hand a little money to somebody on the side of the street. You know, guy at the four way stop or something. That, that'll help me feel a little better. I'll do that, but I'm good. It's just enough to make me feel a little bit better, but maybe not enough to really be considered passionate. You see, I think. Jesus wants our passion. I think he wants to change any spiritual apathy that might be happening in our life. Because as we just read, it doesn't just turn them off. Man, it makes them sick. Man, he wants and he desires our worship. So here's another question, another question that I have. How can I tell if I'm apathetic in my life? Like, how can I tell where I've become spiritually apathetic. I've got a few points here, and these aren't gonna make sense unless I explain them, so write a few of these down, and these are just things that we can work through, maybe that are good indicators. One is popularity. One is popularity. This is when I'm more concerned about impressing people rather than God. You know, we sometimes become so obsessed with what people are posting or what people are saying that it determines what we say, what we do, what we buy, what we wear, what we drive, all these types of things, and meanwhile, we don't think about what God would want for our families or for this purchase or for this next step. We're so consumed with what everyone else thinks. The second thing is pass. And here's what I mean about pass. We have faith in Jesus, but we're willing to just keep it to ourselves and pass by other people. Other people who may not believe or who may need to hear about God. If we truly believe, if we truly believe that there is an eternity and that there is an eternity for people outside of God, for a place where they spend away from the presence of God, then, man, that should build up some fire in us to be able to share it with other people and not leave it for someone else to. do. Another thing is passive. Number three is passive. We're passive in our approach towards God. Instead of going to Him every day, we only go to Him when we need something or when somebody's sick and we're like, oh, God, please... Please, I pray um, for this sickness. Please take it away from them and please don't let me get sick. You know, I can't be out of work anymore this week. You know, that kind of thing. And then once the sickness passes, we're like, okay, I'm good. And we don't really go back to God until we need something. Number four, we've already touched on this a little bit, possessions. That's what we're consumed with. We're concerned with getting more from the world rather than what Scripture says is that we ought to be storing up treasure in heaven. Another one is pride. Pride. Let's go back. This kind of links up with arrogance, but I want to come at this from a different angle. In our pride, sometimes what we do is we try to limit or, or, or uh, we kind of downplay the sin because we're prideful about who we are and what we've done. And we don't think that those sinful attitudes are really hurtful. And so what we do is we, we recategorize them or we name them something different and we, so we can justify it. And we'll say things like, I'm not selfish. I'm just an opportunist. Like, I take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of me. I'm, I'm not abrasive. I just tell it like it is. Like, I can't help it if, if you're too soft to take it. You know, well, we have a better name for things so we can keep on thinking in our prideful attitude, I'm not that bad. When really what we may need to do is have a time of confession and offer those things up to God so it's not a distraction. And then the sixth, the sixth one is parallel. And what I mean by that is when our lives are right in line with the rest of the world, Like I said before, if Jesus were to give us a report of our life last week, like, would he see anything different? Would he see anything different in our lives where we kind of took a different route than everybody else? The things we watch, the things we listen to, the things that we buy, what we value. Before too long, sometimes we can just go right along with everybody else that our attitude is just kind of like, eh. You see... A life on mission is is a life that's passionate for the cause of Christ. And after everything he's done, like I've said, after everything that he's given to us, to think that we would just leave it or just set it aside or not even think about it as we go throughout our day. So maybe, maybe some of us this morning, when it comes to a life on mission, you're feeling that tug and you're like, ugh. This is getting to me like I know that there are areas of my life where I need to be more on fire for Christ, where I need to be more passionate. So what can I do? What can I do to light that fire again? Light my fire so that I'm more passionate for Christ, so I can be that life on mission. So normally, I'd want to help you out, and this is what I would do. I would give you a list of things to do, right? And and you know what I would say. You already know the list that's coming to you. Uh, you Spend more time in prayer. Join a journey group. Find somebody to serve or find a place to serve. Or read your Bible. If you don't have one, let me know. I've got plenty of them, okay? (laughs) Read your Bible, right? Make sure you're tithing. Can't leave that one out, right? Make sure you're in worship on Sundays or worshiping when you can. Also worship God every day through your time with Him. Confess your sins. You know the list. Like, I don't have to tick these off. We don't have to check these off, right? The problem is when I give a list and when I give like 10 different things or even five different things, some of y'all are like me and you'll look at this list and you're like, well, that's a lot. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to think about this for a little bit and then we don't do anything. Or we get so overwhelmed with the list, we don't do anything. So here's what we're gonna do. And this is powerful, okay? Here it is. What is one thing you can do To reignite your passion. What is one thing you can do? What is one thing? Everybody say one thing on the count of three. One, two, three. One thing. Turn to your neighbor and say one thing. Turn to your neighbor and say one thing. What is one thing? Not ten things. Not five things. What is one thing you can do that requires faith? That's the key. Right there. Because chances are, you know that area of your life where you're kind of feeling that apathy kind of set in, where you're just kind of like, eh. What is one thing you can do that would cause you to step out and have a little bit of faith? Break out of the routine. And it doesn't have to be huge. It's just one thing that pushes you forward. So what does that look like? It might look like if if you're in school. It it might be being friendly to somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of friends. And for you, this is hard because you struggle meeting new people. That is one thing that you can have faith in, to reach out to someone. Maybe it's in your family. And you need to apologize to a few people for the way you acted this past week. And that's hard, and that requires faith. And so you're going to have faith, and you're going to pray about it. And you're going to look for a great time to have that conversation. For parents, for those in the family, maybe it's prayer. You know, you you haven't been praying a whole lot, but you definitely have a hard time praying in front of other people. But this week, you're like, you know what? I want my family to see that I'm passionate for Jesus. And one thing I can do is pray at dinner, pray at nighttime, pray in the car ride while I'm driving the kids to school. Just don't close your eyes, okay? But just one thing that would require me to have a little faith and do this, maybe it's journey groups. Maybe some of you, you haven't been plugged in, you haven't connected, but, man, leading a group or gathering some people together to go through a study, man, that really requires some faith. Maybe it's serve teams. Maybe you're not serving on a Sunday. Y'all, we're getting ready for the big move, and it's going to be exciting. We're going to need everybody serving and worshiping one, okay? We're going to go to two services. We're going to need everybody's help, and that is one of the greatest ways to grow your faith and ignite your passion is to serve with other Christians. Maybe it's giving. And maybe you've never really taken a step of faith in your giving. And now's the time to do that and say, God, I'm going to trust you that you'll provide. You know, why is it important to do something in faith? You know why? It's because scripture teaches us without faith, it's impossible to please God. A life on mission isn't happening unless we live out our faith. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way in James 2.26. He says, faith that does nothing, that's just kind of apathetic, that's just complacent, that just walks through life going, well, I'd rather do this or I'd rather do this. He says, faith that does nothing is dead. Christ brings life. Faith brings life. So when we live by faith, even just doing one thing, growth happens. Our faith grows. And we become more omniscient. So instead of being consumed by what other people think about us, we're consumed with what God thinks. Instead of living for the things of this world that don't last, we're living for the things that last for eternity. Instead of rationalizing our sin, we're confessing our sin. Instead of being timid about living out our faith, we're bold for the sake of Christ. Instead of turning to Jesus only when we want something, we turn to him every day because we realize our life depends on him. And when we're living by that kind of faith, man, we we suddenly begin to realize that we are a life on mission. We're no longer lukewarm, but we have a purpose. You know what, though? One more thing before I'm done. It's not easy to live out faith. It's not easy. And the reason I say that is because it's easier to not care. That's why it's, it slips into our life. That's why we do it. Is because it's easier just to be complacent. It's easier just to be apathetic. It's easier just to be lukewarm. Don't let that happen to you. Faith is what we're after. Living by faith is a life on mission. So what is one thing? Pray. If you don't know where that area is, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in the direction. And then make an effort. One thing. One thing I'm going to do, and I'm going to live out faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you've given to us, God. And honestly, Jesus, we don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to be complacent when it comes to our faith. We don't want to be lukewarm, God. We understand how much that hurts you, God. We, we want to serve a purpose for you. After everything you have done for us, after everything you have given us, God, how can we not serve you? how can we not give you everything we have? So God, just please forgive us, forgive me personally for the ways that I fall short, for the ways that we just go through the motions sometimes. Jesus, help us to break free from complacencies. Help us to live out our faith in a real way that makes a real impact each and every day. Whatever that may mean. Whatever way you're stirring in our hearts right now, help help us, God, just to pick one thing to do in faith, to live out our faith, and as we live into it, God, help us then to pick more ways, more ways to develop and grow. Because, God, we want that fire to continue to build and burn strong for you. At the end of the day, Jesus, what we want is we want to be fully devoted followers. We want to be that life on mission that brings you glory. We give you everything we have. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.